talk to you about how to get out of you what God has already put in you. And not in a, um, a braggish way, but this is, God sat me down and this is what I did. This is, this is over the years of me doing ministry. This is what I did because I trusted him and I, got, I jumped off the cliff. Okay, this is this is an evidence. You need to have tangible things. And so when I was in my 20s, I did Supernaturally Attractive for Singles and put that out, my first book. And, and, it, and then when I, right before I got married, when my, and right before I turned, no, 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 this was when I turned 30. When I turned 30, I put this one out, Save Sexy Cool. And then, and that was on my 30th birthday. On my 40th birthday, I put this one out, No Room for Excuses, but you can't make excuses. And then when we started the church, the Lord said, there's time for another one, and now it's coaching you. So this is, you follow, the people you follow will help you see what you're going to be, where you're going to be. So granted, um, financially, we're just in that rebuilding phase as the Ordells and coming back to California and letting go of our dreams and our personal endeavors and saying, Lord, I want to be who you called it to be. But in the midst of it, you have something inside of you, and you need to pull it out. You need to pull it out, and that's what we want to coach you to do as we pass for you to pull it out. So the church declaration, let's go through this together, um, and then we're going to, um, to get into a very specific thing. And the name of the word today is called, What Have You Been Called? Church declaration, and I'm watching the time, and we'll get you out of here. This is my Bible. Stand to your feet. Let's say it together. You got your Bible. Even if your Bible's on your phone, Bible's in your heart, hide it. Word. Are you? Zandra's reading hers off her app. Woo-hoo. Okay, this is my Bible. My Bible is the Word of God. The Word of God is Jesus Christ. It is my weapon because it is infallible. This Word slays sickness. This Word defeats demons. This Word eradicates hidden faults, deliberate sin, transgressions, and abomination. My Bible is the ultimate truth. This truth invades the darkness and exposes weakness, lies, cowardice, and doubt. My insecurity demanding that I raise my level of expectation. It assures me that my Lord guarantees that I will triumph over all the forces in the world arrayed against me because he is the God of the angel armies. I conquer, I see results, I overcome because of my Bible. Yeah! Woo! Lord, we thank you for your building. We thank you for your coaching. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for speaking through us, Lord, to touch your people. We thank you that this is just seed one. This is just the digging in the ground, and you're placing the seed inside of them. And it's up to them, Lord, to water it. It's up to them to cultivate it. It's up to them to help it grow and to develop and to push whatever is inside of them out. Lord, I speak to the men in this room, Lord. Yes, the book may have been written for women, but I speak to the men in this room. Room. I speak to them as they listen to this, and I say everything in you designed by the Creator will come out of you, Lord, will come out of you, Lord. Do it for them now. Do it for the women. Raise our level of expectation. Eradicate fear. Erase the worry. Erase the past and move us into our future, Lord. Lord, speak through me and let this word cut through the mess, cut through the names, cut through the history, cut through the facade, cut through the junk, cut through all of that, Lord, and get us into a place where we are spiritually aware and spiritually um, um, equipped on the inside. So we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right. So um, what have you been called? What have you been called? Some of us have been called some rather um, raggedy, raggedy, um, mean, coarse things. And what happens is when we are called certain things, when you speak, when you speak, when you speak, when you say something, it takes root in you. It takes root in you. And that is why when we were little and we used to say, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. They will hurt you. And they have hurt you. And a lot of us have been on a mental delay and a life delay. It is called, um, it is called arrested development, where, there, where you have stopped. Some of us stopped at 13. We stopped at 17. We stopped at 8. We stopped at 5 because there was something spoken over you that arrested you, okay? So we want to go back and look at what you've been called, and not just what you were called by someone else, but what you've also been called by God. I was telling Stephanie and Amy um, and uh, that there, I had the most unusual uh, thing happen is that we live in, um, we, we live in a wonderful neighborhood. Um, we live in property owned by my godmother, and so um, it, it's, the good thing is that it's in the family, but it's just the neighborhood has changed. And so it's a very, it's a working class neighborhood. That's what we'll call it, a working class neighborhood. And so, um, but anyway, we, one night I was, um, instead of sitting at my desk, desk, I was in my room and I was on the computer. I think I was working on the app or working on this book or working on something. And my neighbor um, came to me, she just, <laughs> My neighbor, you've heard Pastor Daryl talk about my neighbor. I love her to death. So she just walks up to my bedroom window and starts talking. And like I'm like in there, and I have all the windows open, and I'm just typing away. She goes, girl, I don't know. And, I was, and I, what was so crazy is, is that I didn't jump to high heaven because you know how dramatic I could be. I was just like, okay, yeah, girl, I understand. And I just started talking. I was like, did she just walk up to my bedroom window? in the blackest of night, and I'm just like, yeah, you know. But what was happening is that there was a dog in the neighborhood that was barking nonstop. And I don't mean like barking stop, barking stop. I'm talking about like four or five hours of just straight barking. But it wasn't just a earth, earth, earth like that. It was a, it was a, um, it was a gut-wrenching bark. It was a help me bark. It was a I'm not going to stop barking until somebody comes and helps me. It was a nonstop bark. And it, what happened was it, was, it had been going on for about three or four weeks, and it was, so, um, com it was so consistent that I think I worked to bl block it out. It was just that consistent, but it was, if, you, if you came out of blocking it out and heard it, it just got you in your core. So my neighbor just walks up to, while this dog is barking, she walks up to my, 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 um, my window and she's like, Teresa, this is just, yeah, this doesn't work for me. Girl, I, I, this is not work. And now, you know, we got to, I, this is, uh, girl, I'm about to go over there. And I said, okay, wait, okay, now wait, hold on. Miss Renee, I need you to slow your roll. It is nighttime. And it's like, yeah, but that, that, we got to do something about that. That right there, that's not working. And this is crazy. Now, who in the right mind is going to let their dog bark? Or she went in, she said, there is something wrong. And I was like, you know, you're right. There is really something wrong. She said, I'll be back. I'm going to go over there. I just wanted somebody to know where I was. I'm going around the corner. So I was like, she is going over there. And I was like, I don't know if they, I should be scared for them or if I should be scared for her going over there. Because it was like, you could tell it was from the block over. And so she was gone for about 15, 20 minutes. And she came back, and I was like, Miss um, Renee, you know what, what at this point, she, she was like, I'm back. So I went out front to talk to her, and she said, she said, the house is empty. 
She said, it's a dog. She said, I went to knock on the door and the windows are out and there's nobody living in this house. It's an empty property. So what has happened is somebody has just chained a dog up in the yard to make it seem like somebody lives there and the dog is just, the dog is just there. So I said, the, probably the dog had no food. Probably the dog had no water, and the dog was like, I am going to bark until somebody does something for me. I'm going to bark, and I'm going to howl, and I'm going to yell, and I'm going to whimper, and I'm going to do it all night long because you're in your house, you're comfortable, your dogs have been walked around the block, and everybody got theirs, but I haven't gotten mine, and so I am going to bark and bark and bark and bark, and the bark was that deep, 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 ugly bark. And then she came over, and she said, but this is what angers me. Where are the neighbors? Who are the people that can hear? If we're a block away, what about the people that are right next door? Can't you hear that there's something wrong? She says, so I bet you, well, I know what they did. They probably just went to a pound and got a dog that they were about to kill and just put a, this dog on the property to make it look like they're there. She said, they probably own the property, are gonna renovate it or something, and they just get these random dogs and put them on property just to hold them over. And so she said, but I know the law. She said, you can't keep a dog chained up for more than three hours and then you gotta take them off. You, I know the law. You're supposed to do this, 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 that. I know the law. So I'm calling. She said, and animal control knows me. And I'm going to call them, and I'm going to get this dog taken care of. So I, and, and as she went on and on and on, she said, I'll, keep, I'll call you in the morning, honey. I'm a, you know I'm going to let you know what's going on. I said, Miss Renee, I know, I know that I'm going to hear from you a lot in this regard. <laughs> I, I'm fully aware of that. But what I heard God say is that, there are some people that are barking, that are yelling, that their, their actions are telling you, everybody around them, hello, I need something. Hello, I've been forgotten. Hello, I'm in pain. Hello. And so what we do is we call them names. We put labels on these people, and we just go on about our day. We're the neighbor next door that tuned them out. We're the neighbor that next door that knows the house is empty, but that's not my problem, and my little property is right here, and that little, once you cross that line, that's not my responsibility. So, you know, and that's why we're, we're mission-minded, because you have to recognize people are all around you that need something. And some of you guys might be some of that pe those people, but what does your bark tell people? For some people, we label them, they're just so insecure. They are just, oh my gosh, we can't go anywhere until they get dressed, and then they don't think they look right, and then they're, and oh my gosh, they're so depressed, and you are just, oh, you are this, and oh, you're just bipolar. I don't know if you're on this side this day, and this side this day, and oh, you're schizophrenic, and oh, what have people called you? What have people said about you? Oh, you just are never gonna get it together. Oh, you are just the most raggedy person I've ever seen. Well, you're just, that. oh, you know what she is. She's just a hoe, he's just so, he just, you know, he just runs the streets he just you know he just cheats on people he just no good so what is it that people call you so many women have been called b-i-t-c-h's because that's a female dog but what kind of dog what are you telling me men are dogs if they do you wrong women are dogs if they're taken advantage of why are we just wearing these labels and it's okay and we never think to ask the creator who am i who am I? Who did you tell me I was going to be? Who do you call me, God? Because all these people, and then what happens is when people call you these names, what do you do? You just start to play that role, and you just start to live up to it. You just start to live up to it. And, you know, you might put on a facade and go to a party or go to an event and try to, you know, this is L.A., so we do that very well. Every city has their reigning, and, 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 and I know it sounds funny, but every city does have a reigning principality over it. So when I used to go and speak a lot, I would be gone like two or three times a month, and I used to leave California, go to the L.A. airport, get in an airplane, go in the air, and then come back down. And my mom was telling me, she said, the most effective time to pray before you go to another city to minister is when you are in the air 
because the spiritual levels are principalities, rulers, and powers in the air. The Bible says that. And so when you go to a city, every city has a reigning principality. Every neighborhood has a certain temperament, spiritual atmosphere that's over it that keeps people stuck in certain areas. And so you go to one neighborhood, like my neighborhood, a working class neighborhood, and I'm telling you, as, as in the morning from, from 5.30 to about 8 o'clock, people are in their cars, they're hitting it. We got gardeners that live in our neighborhood, and the next door neighbor's a housekeeper, and these people are like, they rotate, they're dig getting it, they're rocking to the bus, they're doing their thing. You go to other neighborhoods and people just living on the street, you know, they just ain't doing nothing, they just getting hot. And you go to another neighborhoods and everything is manicured and beautiful, but boy, there's some chaos going on behind closed doors. They just got enough money to cover it up. And so every neighborhood has their thing and every city has their thing. So in LA, we have to realize we're not, one of the things I heard is that Hollywood is a state of mind. It is a state of mind, and with that, in the spiritual realm, you understand that it is a spiritual temperament. It is a demonic stronghold because with that, we put on a facade, and we put on our front, and we just smile, and you know, we gotta be Hollywood, and we go to a party, we don't have no money in our hand, and we rubbing up next to all these high-profile people, and they're going away in their bins, and what are we rolling in? A borrowed car that we rented to make it look like we're somebody, you know? So we live in a place, and what happens is we try to bring that facade to God and say, well, God, you know, I'm just working my dream and doing my thing and doing that. He said, what if people called you? And so when you go back to the garden, when you go back into the garden, and one of the things, the first chapter in the book really is, who are you? And it says that the Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And one day, they started having a conversation with Satan. And when it was time to show up and do your walk with God, it says they didn't show up. And then they said, I'm naked. And they started trying to cover up who they were. And they tried to put on a facade. I'm going to come to God and make sure I'm all together and everything. And God was like, you used to walk with me. You didn't know you were naked. You didn't know you were empty. You didn't know. You just walked with me. I love how the Bible paints a picture. You walked with me in the cool of the day. They had a garden that had everything they needed. They had all this beautiful stuff. They had animals. They walked with lions and, and bears. Everybody was right there together. And there was this imagery of, of, of everything being in perfect harmony. It was synergy and everything was working. And the minute that you started having a conversation with the enemy, then you separate from God. And then they said, the enemy said, oh no, God doesn't want you to know what he knows about you. But they had already had access to everything that they needed to know about what God said. God said, you don't need to know about good and evil. And this is, I love this about God. He gives us rules in everything. Some people say, why would he put a tree in the garden? And then it tells them they have access to everything, but not that. Discipline, discipline, discipline. I want you to have it right in front of you. That you why would God give a sex drive to a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old? Why would God make a pre-teenager's body prepped so that she could have kids if she needed to? I mean, not if she needed to. If she could have kids at that stage of development, but no, not yet. Why does God do that? Why does God make a 16-year-old have this intense testosterone just slamming into their system and they don't understand it and say, but no, 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 no sex. Why does God do that? Because it is understanding the art of disciplining, discipline and understanding the art of it's in you, but it's waiting for the right time. It's understanding who you are in me. And so it's understanding that what you have, um, uh, whether you people call you ghetto, whether they call you a freak, whether they call you drama, every time they come around, you're just drama. We just know things are going to get crazy or everybody might say oh the party doesn't come around till this person comes and and all those things but whatever you call God whatever you have been called God is like I've also placed all of this inside of you and said now I need you to be disciplined in all of it look at Matthew 15 
And when you get there, remember what to say, the word works. Oh, you can, uh, yeah, there you go, Matthew 15, 21 through 27. And when you get there, the word works. Can I have some water, somebody? Are you there? Say it with, with authority. Okay, so Matthew 5, 15, 21 says this. Leaving that place, Jesus, we're picking up with Jesus, and he's en route with the disciples and um, all of that stuff. Thanks, babe. Um, and all of that. And it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, and she started crying out. Now, realize this, that a Canaanite woman met that she was different from them. Okay? And many of us are called names. We're called names based on our culture, based on our race, based on our skin color, or whatever our thing is. And so the Bible signifies that she was a Canaanite woman. And in these days, the Jews had very little dealing with other races, okay? Because they were, they were, they, they kept a, a, a division line, okay? So she comes to him and she starts crying. She's barking, okay? She's barking. Are you there? And she says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and she's suffering terribly. In verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Just sat there. And she's crying out. She's barking. She's yelling. Jesus acted like the neighbor next door. Didn't say a word. So what happens is people who follow you take on your mindset. People who follow you act like you. So his disciples came to him and urged him, get rid of this woman, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. She's just yelling and barking and blah, 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 and always crying and always talking. Get rid of this woman. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. She's still crying. And he's telling her, I'm quiet because I didn't come for you. You're a different tribe. You're called by a different name. So I didn't come for you. And then the woman knelt down before him and she said, I don't care. Lord, help me. She kept barking. She kept yelling. She kept screaming. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bed and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Ah. And then Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed right at that moment. What kind of conversation is this? This is, if you never knew anything about Jesus and you just took this one passage and you listened to this, you would think he was mean, insensitive, hated women, that he was prejudiced. You could go through a whole list of things that you would just, if you just took this one little passage of scripture and looked at it from there. But this is the thing. One of the things I say in coaching you, if you have a mentor or a disciple or a coach or a pastor, you have to understand that they might have you do some crazy things. They might say some crazy things to you. Cheryl's a mentor. You might tell people to do something because you understand the ultimate agenda. So I'm going to talk crazy to you, and I'm going to see if you can catch up to where I am. So the woman is screaming and crying. My daughter's demon-possessed. She's probably tired. The house is probably torn up. Her daughter probably hurt herself. She's probably been to doctors. She's probably been to everything. She said, this is not a medical issue. This is not a psychological issue. This is a spiritual issue. I finally found Jesus. I need you to help me. And I finally get here, and I'm crying out. I'm on my last dime, my last leg, my last nerve, and all of that. And then I come to you, and you don't even acknowledge that I'm barking and I'm screaming and the only thing you worried about is that I'm a woman because I'm not supposed to be in the company of men. That I'm Canaanite because I'm not a Jew and I'm not from the same group as you. So you're just going to classify me and give me the hand? Really? 
But I kept hearing you're the Messiah. I kept hearing you heal everybody. And that's what happens when people come in the doors. This is a sanctuary. And people come into God's house and they're like, I made it. And you leave the same way. You go home depressed or you go home heavy or you don't get the job or you feel this thing or you feel that thing. And God is like, there's a bigger picture going on here. I'm trying to coach you right now. I'm trying to see if I talk crazy to you, will you follow my train of thought? I'm trying to see, will you dig a little deeper than the surface? Because the real issue is not so much your daughter being demon-possessed. Your daughter being demon-possessed is really just what got you to the table. The real issue is that I need you to see on a bigger level who you really are. I need to talk to you and get you beyond being a Canaanite woman, beyond being a, being a woman, and beyond being out of the circle. I need you to be, I need you to go a little deeper. And so he comes to her and he says, this is really what it's all about. How bad do you want this? Because this is the thing. I could give you the best of what God has for you. And if you had, if it didn't cost you anything, if you didn't have to work for it, if you didn't have to do anything, you'll take it for granted. I went to a group with girls at USC. The lady Winona Valentine that spoke yesterday. I went and spoke to her girls, and it was girls from all over, and they were high school girls. And I brought a stack of books, no room for excuses. And I spent the whole afternoon with them at USC. And I said, these books are going to cost you something. They sell for $14.95. We don't have any money, Miss Teresa. I said, oh, no, 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 it's going to cost you something. Go in your backpacks right now. Give me something that belongs to you. She's crazy. What did, did, what did she say? You got jewelry on, you got backpacks, you got something, this book is gonna cost you. And they were like, uh, we liked her, but now she's just a real lunatic, and so we're not gonna, because I'm not giving you a book for you to throw in your room, under the bed, under the table, I'm giving you something that could shift your existence. I am giving you something, the best of what God put in me at this season in my life. I am giving you something, and I want you to leave here and understand that if I apply this, I can change and I can make the whole world shift based on my destiny. So I want you to understand. So it has got to cost you something. So go in your backpacks, go in your little purses, because I know if you wanted to go to McDonald's after this, you would make sure you had a dollar or two. I want it to cost you something. And they were like, oh, okay. And one little girl said, I know that's right. I need that. And she said, this is my favorite bracelet. I saved up my, my allowance money, but I want to give it to you. And I'm not trying to steal from the kids. I was trying to get them to understand value. That these pages, if you do what these pages say, it'll shift you. And, and, and at high school, you have something of value you can give. What would you exchange for me giving you something that could change your whole life? So we have a scripture in the Bible that says, um, your gift will make room for you and bring you before the great men. And we think, oh, it means my gift, my talent, my ability to sing. My if you look at that scripture in the proper context, it is understanding that you have gifts that you can give people. You have to understand that my time with you is valuable because you have a deposit to put into me. So when somebody is coaching you and they're putting something in you, what can I do to help you? What can I give you? It's because in, in, the, in, the, soul, in, the, in the secular world, it's called bartering. I'm a photographer, you're a painter, how can we blend our gifts? Adam, you, I'm sure you've done it, because I understand that I'm not gonna just give you this, I'm not gonna just spend 15, 20 hours producing a five minute video, I'm going to, I need you to give me something of value so we can exchange and understand the value of each other's gifts. And so those little girls, when they got the concept, oh, they started, and this one little girl told me, she said, can I make my gift special? yeah what do you got because they had to get in a line and they had to all come to me and really think about it they had it was an exercise and one of the little girls said I want to write you a letter 
about what I learned today. And I want to put in the letter what I'm going to do when I leave here. I said, girl, you better work your thing. Let's do it. And she went over in the corner and she wrote me a letter and she folded it really nice and she put her signature on it and she put her phone number. She put her email address and she said, you're going to find me and you're going to talk. I mean, she did it so she gave it her best. And she came to me. She said, now may I have my book? And I said, you sure can. And I signed that book and I gave it to her because I wanted her to understand. And I doubt very seriously that she threw it away and didn't take heed. You understand what I'm saying? So what God was saying right now, he said, you want me to save your, you want me to heal your demon-possessed daughter? Give me something. I need you to give me your understanding of how powerful this exchange is about to be. And he, and he said, I came to save the children of Israel first, for the Jews first and then the Gentiles. That's how salvation wrote. And so then she said, you know what? Yeah, and if they're not here getting theirs, guess what? I will take a crumb because I understand how powerful you are, Lord. So let them have the bread. Give me the crumbs because even the crumbs will get my daughter healed. And he said, that's what I'm talking about. You don't even have to go home. When you get home, your daughter's going to be sitting there doing her homework. Everything just worked out for you instantly. Because he wanted to know, are you connecting to the power? Are you understanding the value of the deposit? And that is what coaching does. That's what mentoring does. That is what discipling does. That is what pastoring does. When my mom had an opportunity to sit down with Miles Monroe at a dinner, with, a, with it was only about 10 or 12 leaders and, a, and somebody who knew him had a dinner party. He flew from the Bahamas to sit down with a group of people, 10 or 12 people, and dropped all kind of knowledge. Just spent hours with these people. Dropped, did anybody know he was going to die in his prime? Did anybody know he was going to have to leave this major legacy? No, but it was this one moment in time where they were sitting down with one of the most powerful men on the planet who talked about purpose and potential. And he sat there and he just pushed and gave and gave and dropped knowledge into all these people. And they all said, oh, thank you, my husband wrote, and walked away. And my mother said she took out a check and wrote him. She said, look, I don't have anything. I just have to give you something because you gave us so much tonight. And he said, ah, you got it. It's not about the money. It's not about your tithes. It's not about your offering. It's understanding, God, everything that I have comes from you. Everything, even the crumbs, the little, little nuggets of who you are can shift everything that I am. And when the woman got that concept, the Lord was like, Jesus was like, that's it. That's all you needed to know. That, I love it. Let's, I, let's move forward. Your daughter's healed. Now you understand. It's not about you. I'm not telling you. I'm not ignoring you because you're from another social group. I'm not ignoring you because you're a woman. I'm trying to see how bad do you want it and how bad are you going to push. And you go, oh, I prayed once, God, and you didn't do it, and I'm not going to serve you ever again. Lord, I went to church once this six months. Lord, really? It's like, no, I'm coming because they're about to drop something, and if I get it, I can change my whole universe. You know, we've been trying to move to the valley, trying to move to the valley, trying to move to the valley, trying to move to the valley. Kate is like, can you please just move to the valley? There's a house across the street. Can you just move anywhere? Just get to the valley, and then we can, like, get specific as to where you got. Like, can you please? I know you guys are probably like, seriously, I'm so over you talking about moving to the valley. Can you move to the valley? Ebony moved, and she gave me her boxes. Can you move to the valley? You've moved. Okay, Pastor T, why do you guys, when we do long weekends, why do you stay in a hotel? Can you just please move to the valley? Last night, we went down the street to do one thing, up the street to do another thing, and we were like, this is so cool. We really just need to live in the valley. And so it's just like the record is so broken and so played, the link does not work, download is incomplete, it's just, you're, you're over it, right? And I'm over too. So anyway, when we thought that we were going to move to the valley, I found this house and I told Stephanie where it was and Stephanie was like, yeah, Pastor Teresa, that's not, 
You don't necessarily want that zip code. And I was like, I know, Steph, but listen, because, you know, I always got a backdrop plan, right? I was like, but it's this little oasis of houses, and it's this little cluster of homes, and everything that I ask God for, it's just these homes, and they have these little cottage. And I was just like, so when we went and looked at the house, and I walked through, and it reminded me of living in Atlanta, and it had a dishwasher. And you know how Pastor Darrell always talks. I just don't like to wash. I just don't. And so the fact that we're still married is because if we don't have a dishwasher, he washes dishes. And that's just how our, our team rolls. Everybody's got their thing. That's our thing. And so I was like, and it has a dishwasher. And it reminds me of living in Atlanta. This is so cool. We're starting all over again. I want to live right here. And he was like, babe, now you understand that this is not, I, I'm with all that. I can, I can deal with, I, I, I'm, you don't know who I am. I can roll. I can go up to that corner. I'm not scared of nobody. It's not like dangerous, but it's just not, you know. So I was like, this weird. So what did we do? We put in our application and I prayed. I spoke in tongues. I fasted. We were traveling. I was on the road pulling over at Staples. I was emailing the guy, texting the guy, because this is my house. We're moving in here and that's that. And we're going to move and everybody's going to, we're going to go to church and tell people, we're moving to the valley next week. Woo! This is my house. This is my house. I said, okay, babe, so this is what we got to do. We got to pack up the kitchen first. And then after we pack up this room, we're going to go through it. And then the guy said, yeah, you did no, you didn't get the house. It was between two people, and the other people made probably about $100 more. You didn't get the house. And I was like, that's not God. What just happened? And I was so mad, and God was like this. It was like this. Nope. So I was like, okay. All right, Lord, you're going to play? Okay, you, you're going to play? Okay, so you really want to get and see how bad I want to move in the valley? So then we started looking at all these houses, looking at all these houses. Lord, we got to really move to the valley. Do you know what our gas budget is? This is so crazy. We need to move to the valley. We need to move to the valley. And every time I saw a house, it just wasn't working out, and it wasn't. we put in applications. And so in the middle of doing the app, in the middle of doing the book, in the middle of all this stuff, I'm like have three screens open, and I'm on the computer last week, and I'm da 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 and get bing, I get an email. <gasps> It's another house available in my neighborhood. My neighborhood just opened. And in the middle of doing all this stuff, God, you're about to bless me and give me my house. Yeah. So we set an appointment, and we all went up there, and the guy was so nice. And I remember you guys. Oh, you guys were such a precious family. You had the church, right? Oh, this is it. And Grace walked in, and she was like, that's my room right there. And I was like, that's right, in the backyard. And I was like, yes, finally, we got this. And then the guy was like, send me an email yesterday. I mean, no, right before the breakfast, so it was Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, the guy decided to sell. No, he's just, it didn't work out. We actually, we didn't even open your email. Really? Because Sister Girl stayed up till 6 a.m. I called a realtor friend of mine and I said, you got to help me get this house. And I put together a rental resume. I put a picture of us and I talked about, I mean, I worked this thing out. And I put this little package together and I was like, if I ain't never do a proposal, that was a proposal, and I was like, send, and I was so impressed with myself. I was like, I'm gonna call Kate, I'm gonna call Sandra, I'm gonna call everybody and tell them we are moving to the valley. And I was like, yes, Lord, in the middle of this. Then the book fell through, and I was like, I'm not taking no for an answer. I am a girl on a mission. I'm gonna get this book done, and da 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 da, -da and all this stuff. And God was like, didn't get the house. So then I was like, okay, Lord, really? Really, and I was in my kitchen. First of all, I'm sleep deprived. I was up till 7 a.m. putting that in. Second of all, I got this book. And third of all, and fourth of all, he said, you know what? You're not just gonna move that easy. If you really want it and you really, he said, show me what it looks like when you show me that you want something. I was like, oh, it's like that? He said, roll up your sleeves and get to work. And I was like, oh, so it's not about the house. It's about the lesson that it takes to get the house. And he said, there you go. And he said, because nothing is just going to be, and I realized when I went through my lifestyle resume, 
Nothing I got, go to Ephesians 1.11, nothing I've gotten has been easy. Everything has been a struggle, and it's all been a struggle because God is always about the deeper lesson. And so look at what Ephesians 1.11 says in the King James Version. If you, have, if you have your phones, you can do it. If not, look at the screen for the King James Version, and we're about to close. In whom, this is Ephesians 1.11, King James Version, and he's talking about being predestined, being ordained, being predestined, being ordained, and being created and belonging to God. And in the middle of all this in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, because we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things after the counsel of his own will. Let me read it to you in NIV. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Let me explain this to you right here. God doesn't talk to your cousin. God doesn't talk to your mother. He doesn't talk to anybody. He had, Because it's a thing. Friends will flip on you one minute. Remember Palm Sunday? Oh, hell, King Jesus. And what, Calvary was a week later. The next week they hated him. So he's like, you know what? I don't go with the crowd's opinion. So he uses your coach, he uses your disciple, your mentor, your pastor. He uses all these people in your life to help you to understand that it is the counsel of God's own will. He works out everything out of the counsel of his will. Not your agenda, not your family's, because everybody, how many of you guys, somebody has a plan for your life? Everybody has a plan for your life. What you need to do is you need to do X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and D, E, F, and then everything will go according to plan. Okay. And then you veer off to the right. Didn't I say come back? Okay, okay. When I think about the coaches and the mentors that I've had over the years and the people, um, when I went to Howard University, there was a team of people working to get me where I needed to be. So I go off to Howard. My godfather had a condo. He, he traveled all over the world. And he and my godmother said, okay, she's going to live here. You can pick a roommate. And he lived it here. And then the other, my, my, um, my other mentor, she had me come work for her with her lobbying group. And then another mentor. That, I mean, when I tell you it was a team, they surrounded me. They said, you have potential, so we're going to surround you and make sure you have what you want. And then they had campus ministry, and they were working with me. And everybody was working together to make sure this happened. My mother de diminished her housing, and she moved. She had a beautiful three-bedroom house on the lake, and she moved out of her house on the lake and moved into this two-bedroom small condo, and everybody was working together for me to be who I was going to be, and everybody was making an investment, and they met with me monthly, and they called me on the phone, and they had rules and regulations, and I was following everything, and then one day, I just was focusing on what the names I had been called. I got in the crowd, and I lost track of who I was. And so they were telling me, Teresa, you have purpose. Teresa, you have destiny. Teresa, you have a call in your life. You're not a typical student. You are not here to have fun. You're not here to party. And I was like, yep, yep. And then you get in a crowd of people. You go on one date, and the guy was like, ugh, you have three fingers, and you forget who you are. What have I been called? I'm the ugh girl. And then you go, and then you get with a group of friends, and they're like, you don't, love, you don't know how to party, and you ain't this, and you ain't that. So then you get in this. And so you forget, and you're paying attention to what you've been called. And I look up two years later, and I'm like, I can't handle the pressure anymore. I gotta go home. And this whole team of people was like, that's not an option for you. And I was like, I can't handle it. I, my, my professor was having an affair with my roommate and they got mad. They were scared I was gonna tell the, tell the education committee. I'm not lying, my English professor, he just, he was like having an affair with my roommate and she knew it, we came from the same church and she was, that was just what she, where she was. And he, so then he lied on me and said I stole his wallet. And then, I mean, it was just all kind of stuff. And so it was the battle began. See if we cannot get her to be what God has called her to be already. And so my life got off track, so to speak. And next thing you know, I come home. My mom was looking at me, why did you get a D in English? 
do I tell you it's because my professor is having an affair with Linda, or do I? Ooh, I didn't mean to say what. Um, do I? Do I do that? Thank God it's been 20 years. So anyway, um, Kim. So I said, do I tell you that, or do I just tell? She was like English. I'm a writer. Seriously, you got to expect. I I live in a two bedroom apartment condo, and you come and bring me a D. And then when I ask you what's going on, you say I. You come in here with DC slang. No, boo, this is not working for me. You got some explaining to do. And I was like, well, see, what had happened was, how do I explain to you what I'm really battling? How do I tell you that my insecurity level has rose up higher than I could even imagine? And then the real, the real, the real journey began. And all the while, God was using every step of the way, but I had to go back and understand who was I called. God counseled with himself. We'll pick up with part two next week. But as you close, I want to leave this one thing with you. Look at somebody next to you and say, who are you? Who are you? And I love it because I was watching Big Hero 6 and for the 50th time. And, <laughs> and I was looking at his brother. The little boy, if you don't know the story, the little boy is like complete genius, but he's off track. He's just off track like a lot of people. And so he was using all this knowledge to do street fighting with robots. And so his brother, his coach says, come with me real quick, I gotta go run and pick something up. And he takes him to the university and he takes him into the electronic lab and he sees all these genius kids creating and doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you have this instant redirection. And he's like, I gotta go to this nerd school if it kills me. And that's how it is with God. God wants you, he's like, you're down here playing robots on the street. You have the capability of shifting the whole world. And when the boy sees it, he sits down with his brother. And he's like, that's right, I'm gonna change the world. And he goes, he's like, I don't have one idea. I have no idea. And his brother says, come on, come on, you've been working too hard. And he picks him up and he shakes him up. He's like, shake up some ideas. Look at the world differently. Look at everything that's around you. It's probably already in you. And he shakes him up and he scrambles him around. And then he gets it. He sees something he had been working on when he was in the streets, rolling with the bad guys, doing robots. And he goes, aha, he has that aha moment. And so when you look at the word, who, the question, because if I ask you, who are you, you could say, I'm this, I'm a teacher, I'm a this, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm a this, whatever, whatever, whatever. But why base who you are on where you are right now when it's so much bigger than that? And so let's shake the words up. Who are you? Or can we say this, are you who? Or can we say you are who? Are you who God is going to use to shift the whole planet based on what he put inside of you? And then I could say you, you are who God designed in the secret place according to Psalm 139. It's so much bigger than who are you. It's the statement, you are who. When you hear God speak in your ear, you are who I destined to change the world. And it, may, it can start with one crumb off my table. But you're going to have to want this. You're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to find something in you. And you're going to have to allow me to send coaches and mentors and disciples. And now, I promise you, when that team came back together after me a couple years and all these mentors and all this other, I talk about one of the mentors, Sandra Jackson. I called her from Howard crying and all this stuff. She was like, three things, and you're wasting my time. Go get these three things and call me next week. And I was like, what? Did you hear what I just said? I just said that my whole world, I mean, some of the stuff that happened to me during that time is hard for me to go back and realize. As you realize, like, the battle, the more intense the call, the heavier the battle. And she said, I need you to go get a glass of water, a box of tissue, and a blanket. I was like, what? I'm talking about my identity and trying to figure out who I am and what I'm going to A glass of water, a box of tissue, and a blanket. 
And I was like, yeah, I'm not following. And you know what happens? A lot of times, I'm telling you, coaches, mentors, they tell you the craziest stuff, and you go, yeah, deuces. I don't know what you're talking about. But I investigated. I said, I I'm getting nothing. I'm trying to track, getting nothing. Glass of water, box of tissue, and a blanket, and you will figure out exactly what you're supposed to do. She said, lay the blanket out on the floor, put the glass of bottle of water, the glass of water on the floor, and a box of tissue, and start talking to God. And when you get up, this is what's going to happen. You're going to need water because you're going to be crying so hard. You're going to need a box of tissue to wipe your snotty nose. You're going to use that blanket. And when you get up, you're going to walk up, and you're going to have some identity, and you're going to have the answer for the next step. And I was like, now, I could have just blanked her out and said she was crazy, and I ain't never had no prayer like that, but I was desperate. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try it. Three things. Coaches are crazy, but this is what she said. I'm 20 years old. I, why the heck not? I don't have nothing else to do. And I laid out, I was like, God, I don't know who I am. I know what I thought, but I don't, I don't know what to do. And the tears just started flowing. Lord, I'm lost. This person did this, this person. I forgot how much I was worth, and I did this thing over here, and now I'm lost over here, and I can't remember. And this is what God said to Adam and Eve when they were hiding in the garden. He said, where are you? Because this is what I said in the Bible. God doesn't change his, his position. We wander. God is always where he was supposed to do. He said, where are you? And that blanket glass of water and box of tissue got me right back on the road to where I was supposed to be. Are you who God has had his hand on no matter what? And then you are who God is going to use to shift the world. We'll talk more next week about who you're called to be, but let's start with that. Father, in the name of Jesus, if you're here and you realize, you know what? I've been crying, I've been barking, I've been yelling. And the, the scripture, one of the key scriptures from the book is 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it says that God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you and cut you away, separate you from profane things. The problem in our lives is that if we stand there and we finally find Jesus and we stand there saying, Lord, help me. I've been abusing my body because I don't know who I am. I've been doing these dumb things because I don't know where to go. I can't figure it out. Where are you? Where are you, says God. And Jesus says, you know what? What will you do if I give you crumbs? What will you do with the crumb? And for some of you, your crumb may be Hallel Chapel. For somebody else, your crumb may be a book. It may be, um, in, in, in mentoring, it's called a divine contact moment, where it could be one little thing to shift your entire existence. But I will tell you this, God's got you. And why does he have you? Because he created you. He knows you. So you have to become the you that the creator intended you to be. You have to get back. You've been chained up in the backyard, forgotten on a property, and you've been howling. And some of your howling is, comes out in chaotic activity or sporadic or noncommittal and yelling. And some of you are just silent. You've shut down. You're, you've just taken your heart and your life and your mind, and you've just chained it up and just said, I won't feel anything else. God is saying, where are you? And then he has another question for you. How can you recover? Because I have a destiny for you to fulfill. And that was what was so awesome about Jesus when he hung on the cross. 
He said, Father, how can I keep from going through the pain? And God said, look, I'm going to have to go silent on you. And you have to do a rogue mission for me. So even Jesus had to not hear God answer him when he was on the cross. So that's why he could look at that woman and just say, you know what? I'm not going to answer you right now. I need you to cry a little deeper. I need you to call a little longer. I need you to push a little harder. This is going to cost you something. So as you consider what you've been called, if you don't want to be a B-I-T-C-H anymore, if you don't want to be a dog, if you don't want to be insecure, if you don't want to be depressed, you have to realign with your creator. He said, when he was you and me in secret, I knew who I was calling you to be. So this week, your assignment is to figure out from God how do I get a glass of water, a box of tissue, and a blanket and just sit on the floor and just say, give me a crumb, God, even if it, just give me a crumb so I can get back in proper proximity with you. Lord, I will pray over everyone here, every man, every woman, every teenager, get back to you. Get back to you. Get back to the you that God created you to be. Get back to you. It's about time for you to be the you that God called you to be. Look at the people that God's placed in your life to mentor you, to coach you, to develop you. And when they ask you to do crazy, ridiculous things, just try it. Just try it. The only difference between insanity and stupidity, I mean, I'm sorry, not insanity, insanity and excellence and victory is that you try something new. So try something new, and that starts with saying, Lord, I need you to help me. Give me the crumbs. And he will say to you, now we're talking. So, Father, bless these people now as we leave this place, but never your presence. Go into our futures, God, and affect change. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you got work to do. You got work to do. You've got work to do. You have work to do. But in your work, be encouraged. Even the men have work to do. If you didn't get a copy of the book, get the book. But you have work to do. And we'll pick back up next week. Amen? Amen. Give somebody a hug.